The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to our show for this Tuesday, coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio here in Lexington. Uh, getting ready to head out to College Station, Texas, later today with Kentucky basketball for the game at A&M tomorrow night. Uh, we will talk about the Cats, basketball, football, etc., with Daryl Bird of the Cats Paws and with Kyle Tucker from The Athletic. We moved uh, Kyle from Monday to Tuesday this week because wanted to uh, do the show's uh, or do the show on uh, focusing on Coach Hall yesterday. By the way, um, it was uh, my fault. I'd sent uh, Oscar the wrong time, so we've got Oscar Combs uh, rescheduled to come on with us on uh, Friday um, to uh, reminisce a little bit, talk about this current Kentucky team as well. Let's jump into the Wildcat news of the day. It is a service of Giuseppe's of Lexington. Uh, Kentucky's up to number 12 in the new Associated Press College Basketball Poll and the Coaches Poll as well. That's up six spots in the AP Poll, up five spots on the Coaches side. You know, for all the consternation about uh, who Kentucky was playing or wasn't playing early, uh, with the strength of this league over the next few weeks, Kentucky's going to have a chance to play itself into at easily could play into a two seed i think the more i've looked at i think there's uh, there's a great chance they could play themselves into a one if they uh take care of a lot of business i mean it's gonna be a tough tough road coming up starting tomorrow night where they play five of the next seven on the road you've got an a&m team that is much better than people expected then at auburn on saturday you get Mississippi State here, which will be uh, a big favorite to win. But then you go to Kansas. Um, then uh, you've got, uh, I think, South Carolina on the road, I believe, and then uh, um, Alabama on the road. And Kentucky's going to have several opportunities for quad one wins, that uh, how they're evaluated in the net rankings that the selection committee uses. So Kentucky's in a, in a great spot to be – playing as well as it is right now and now going into this uh, rugged portion of the schedule. Now, it can also work against you, but um, they uh playing awfully well right now. So really eager to see how they perform over these next few weeks. Uh, and then, uh, you know, if they put themselves in a good position for these next few weeks, the uh, schedule is more favorable to them down the stretch, but I think four of the final six games being in Rob Arena. So they have a chance to, uh, you know, if they – do well in these next few uh, road tests, then they could uh, really be in a position to, to finish strong and uh, position themselves very well for Selection Sunday. Uh, anyway, Coach Cal, uh, last night on the radio show, uh, no breaking news coming out of that. Uh, he uh, was impressed. He talked about impressed he is with A&M, how much better they're shooting the ball. I think he said they're first in the SEC in three-point field goal percentage. Uh, let me see here. Actually, uh, in conference games, Kentucky's 
number one at uh, 42%, A&M at 36%. But overall for the season, A&M is uh, at the 37%, which is top 35 in the country, and uh, much improved over where they have been in the previous couple of years with Buzz Williams. So that's the big improvement for A&M. Uh, caller asked Cal, is he uh, you know, concerned about his guys looking ahead to the big matchup with Auburn on Saturday? Auburn uh, up in the top five in the country now. And uh, Cal said that uh, they just stay focused in the moment and uh, don't uh, worry about looking ahead. And from times I've spent around them, I'd say that's that's true. I mean, he may be in in his mind putting some things in that he knows are going to be applicable to an upcoming opponent, but they stay very much uh, focused in the moment, uh, and he's very – uh, honest with his guys, you know, he may tell them at some point, look, you, uh, you should win this game or you're better than these guys. Um, so he doesn't try to, to sugarcoat it from that point and, uh, and oversell the other team, but he makes sure his guys do, uh, you know, respect the, uh, the, the team that they are playing. Auburn, by the way, uh, says it's game with Kentucky on Saturday is a sellout and it's going to be an all orange day. For the uh, Tigers down in uh, Auburn Arena, place uh, Auburn's number two in the country now b- behind Gonzaga, and so that place is going to be crazy on uh, Saturday down on the Plains. Ty Ty Washington, for the fourth time in a row, is uh, SEC Freshman of the Week. He actually shares the award this week with Jabari Smith of Auburn, and it's the fifth time overall that Ty Ty has been named to the uh, Freshman of the Week status by the SEC. And uh, first time the any Wildcat has done that since Devin Booker back in 2015. And a couple of Kentucky football players named in Pro Football Focus as the 101 best players this past season in college football. Darian Kennard ranked the 27th best player overall and number three offensive tackle. Wandale Robinson, the 33rd best player overall and the sixth best wide receiver for his production this past season. Links to the stories that we talk about each day can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. Our Wildcat News of the Day is a service of Giuseppe's of Lexington. Full wine and bourbon selections, great menu with fresh seafood, homemade pasta, hand-cut steaks. You get it all and more at Giuseppe's combined with just a fantastic dining experience. Live jazz music that accompanies your meal They've got that new climate-controlled patio you can check out at Giuseppe's of Lexington. We'll be right back with Daryl Bird. It's the Leach Report. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Daryl Bird joins us from catspaws.com. Uh, we were... Uh, Exchanging texts yesterday about uh, moving you from yesterday to today, uh, and uh, the reason was I was able to get uh, Jimmy Dan Connor and uh, others to come on and talk about Coach Hall, and you and I will do that sub too. But you were saying you had to scramble to uh, change your plans for this week for the Cats Paws. Yeah, that happens some sometimes in our business, and I just you know the issue was pretty much done, which is what we aim to do, except for the Tennessee game Saturday left. Six, I think six pages for that out of 72, but otherwise it's done. And then we get this news, and I'm like, no, we're blown. So I have to go to the to printer at 11 this morning, but it's – I like this issue a lot. It's, it's, we've never done anything like this before. When From the start of the cover, the first 
26 pages are nothing but stories and photos about Coach Hall, his life growing up, how he got into coaching, all kinds of really cool stuff. And we've got two folders jam-packed with with black and white photos of not just coach coaching, but you know, on the farm, visiting hospitals, you you know, just really good paints a, I think a really complete portrait of not just the coach but the man. Had a, had a lot of fun doing it. You know, and it's kind of weird to say with the circumstances, but also, I mean, I've been doing this. I got here in '97, so I feel, and I grew up. You know, that's the coach I grew up watching mostly. I kind of felt you know, responsibility that this needs to be done right. Yeah. Absolutely right. And, and to send him out the best way that we can from our perspective here at the Cat's Paws. No, I understand that. And, you know, for the Cat's Paws in particular, um, yes. Joe, there's a c- real strong connection to Joe because uh, I heard Oscar on the network last night. We'll, we'll get him on on uh, Friday to talk more about yeah. this. But, um, you know, he came up from uh, Hazard and sold his papers down there and had this crazy idea to start a publication mm-hmm. based on one college team. And, yeah. uh, and you know, everybody told him how, you know, what a crazy idea that was. But but uh, Joe was behind him all the way. Yeah, there would probably or may not, at least may not, be a cat's ball if not for Coach Hall. And I've, I've seen the letter. I wish I could find it again. It was a single letter because... Oscar, if I understand correctly, he told me before, he took the proposal, the idea, ran it by the folks at UK, and they're like, eh, nah, thanks, no thanks. We don't, you know, it's too new to them, I guess. And Joe went to bat. He typed out a letter that basically didn't tell him to do it, but it was a pretty stern letter of support for what Oscar was trying to do. And, you know, he's the coach at UK, so magically, <laughs> everybody at UK's for it all of a sudden. Yeah, well, he, uh, that's the thing about Joe that he doesn't get credit for. Um, you know, he, he gets, uh, from some people outside of, uh, you know, the, the, the Commonwealth, he gets some grudging credit for, uh, I think sometimes for the, the, the job he did in, uh, keeping the, uh, Kentucky basketball program rolling. But he was very, you know, innovative, uh, in, and not just, oh, yeah. you know, within the game with the strength training program that he put in, the running programs and all of that. But uh, from a marketing standpoint, he really uh, – you know, and maybe that's part of why he and Cal connected the way they did. There's uh, kind of a yeah. you know kindred spirit there that uh, – un- uh, you know, really understanding the Kentucky fan base well. Joe you know, Joe kind of been been one uh, his whole life. Yeah. So he understood it and yeah. knew things like this would be accepted and embraced. I think – yeah, it's probably – I would guess – not many people recognize it or appreciate it because I mean, it was a different time when he was doing all this. The media attention, social media didn't exist, so there was none of that going on. But Joe's personality, at least the, the public personality, is nothing like Cal Perry's personality. So he he did all these things, and it was all more kind of matter of fact. He wasn't out there, you know, leading a parade of here, look what we've got coming. He just very, in his own Joe way, he was the inventor of midnight madness, big blue madness, we call it now. You wouldn't think that coming from the guy in a you know, horn rim glasses and a checkered sport coat. <laughs> yeah. He was, uh, he drove that. He drove the weightlifting. So many things that if he was at the forefront. Absolutely. And I'm sure you're right. I think you nailed it. I think that's why Cal appreciated him so much. Talking with Daryl Bird uh, from the Cat's Paws, and uh, we'll continue here in just a moment. We want to get back and uh, talk about this current Kentucky team and uh, a. Uh, Really difficult stretch of games coming up starting tomorrow night at Texas A&M. We'll do that when we come right back. 
It's the Leach Report. We're served up by Wild Eggs in Hamburg and Palomar here in Lexington. Whether it's breakfast, brunch, or lunch, nobody beats Wild Eggs. We'll be right back. This is where the Big Blue Nation gathers. It's Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report, followed by Kentucky Sports Radio. Chat with Daryl Burke, the Cats Paws, uh, about UK basketball. And uh, Daryl, when I reached out to you to schedule for the show this week before uh, the passing of Coach Hall became a, uh, a big story, the uh, thing I wanted to get you on to talk about was a recent uh, story you did last week about Oscar Shibwe and his rebounding and some historical comparisons that uh, Dan Issel threw back that you'll have to jump into the Wayback Machine to uh, get to for some of our younger <laughs> fans, but you and I remember him well. Absolutely. We do remember them well. He's dropping names, and he said, now, I don't know if you remember Wes Unsell, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course. <laughs> I'm not not that young. Yes, absolutely. We remember Wes Unsell. And, you know, Dan was really good talking about that that's the first person that jumped to mind with him is because Wes was, I think Dan told me he was the shortest center in the NBA. And yeah, you start, doing, what, six, you start seven? around, it's like, I mean, that's the era of Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Jabbard. I mean, 6'11 to 7'2 was typical. And here's Wes Unseld, maybe 6'9, leading the league in rebounding. He said it's that big body, it's that positioning he was able to do. And, and I said Oscar is exactly the same way. It's why he's so successful. Dan did tell me, he said, I said, what separates the good rebounders from the absolute great rebounders, which Oscar is on path to finish his career as, and he said, it's it's the instinct. He said, very few players, when the shot goes up, know exactly where it's going to come. Is it going to go left? Is it going to go right? Is it going to be short? Is it going to be long? He said, Oscar just knows. He instinctively knows, which we both, the more we talked about it, thought, well, that's kind of fascinating because he's from the Congo. He did, he got he arrived to the game late. And, and Dan said, well, I think – because he said, I had a, a pretty good rebounder that I coached in the NBA named Dikembe Mutombo. I said, yeah, I think I remember him too. He said, he was from Congo, and they both played soccer growing up. Maybe it's the footwork. Maybe it's the, 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 having the reaction time to, to play that game comes over into being a really good rebounder as well. Yeah, you know, it, it would be an uh, interesting discussion to pursue a little bit with uh, somebody who uh, is a uh, excels in soccer because you know are you required to maybe you know think a more a move or two ahead because yeah. my assumption is a lot of players rebound uh, after the the you know ball hits the rim or it at you know at uh, at yeah. the earliest when the shots left the the hand and if you're you know really good at this you're kind of seeing where the ball's moving and you know once it moves you know that left side and uh, the, you, the shot's going to come up from there you can start positioning yourself you know a little bit ahead and all you need is that little bit of an advantage maybe mm-hmm. yeah if you're waiting to rebound after the ball hits the rim it's it's over <laughs> especially yeah. if Oscar's on the court you can forget that and yeah I had a lot of fun with that story because I I'm looking at I'm like okay it's a different era. Oscar's not going to touch Bob Burrow's record of 17.7, although he's sitting at 15.1, I think. But who knows? But that, I mean, that's still a reach. And I started doing the, calculating the math, and I'm like, well, my goodness, no wonder that they oh, yeah. had an average when Bob Burrow played that season. 
there were an average of 99 missed shots per game. And Oscars, the games Oscars playing in, there are 32 fewer missed shots. So I'm like, can you imagine Oscars average if he had 32 more chances every night out to get a rebound? It would, <laughs> it would be, you know, going to be creating new categories for this kid. I've said this before, but the, uh, the record for, uh, I think there's four guys that have had 30 rebounds in a game. Oscar very nearly got there with uh, yep. the 28 against Western Kentucky. But uh, it was coming up uh, one year on an anniversary for the last guy to get 30, which was Cotton Nash. I'm looking at it here. It was like February 8th, 1964 at the Coliseum against yep. Ole Miss. Um, yep. He got 30 rebounds. That night, Kentucky was 47 of 125, and Ole Miss yep. was 24 of 84. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's, sixty it's missed shots number by one team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think so, my math. There's three guys who've had thirty rebounds or more, and Cotton did it twice. He's the only player to ever do it twice. Um, you know what? What's uh, say, nobody's done it since 1964. Now, total rebounds in a game. What's a a normal number in the 40s, probably for for a team? Um, I think there are, I think the average UK's on right now, if I had to go back and gig, I think there are like 67 missed shots per game combined. Yeah, but I mean, the number that, that Kentucky would average in a game, they get probably 45 or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Point that's being, right. in this game, I'm, I'm looking at the box score on, Kentucky had 108 rebounds. <laughs> <laughs> they out rebounded Ole Miss 108 to 40. That's insane. Uh, so yeah, Oscar's. Uh, <laughs> you know, you you factor it on percentage of uh, mm-hmm. the shots that he's retrieving, and uh, it uh, it really is incredible. Uh, you can uh, see this uh, story that we're talking about that uh, Daryl did last week at catspaws.com dot com, and then the uh, latest edition of the Cats Paws. Uh, I know all of you are going to love reading a lot of the. Uh, coverage about the passing of Coach Hall and uh, just enjoying those memories and seeing the pictures, so look for that at catspaws.com and this might be one you want to pick up at the newsstand too, right Daryl? Yeah, we're going we're to put it on our web store shop catspaws.com a little later as just a, a single, if you just want to buy that one issue, we're going to set that up and make that available as well. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you, sir. Kyle Tucker, when we come back. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can interact with the show via Twitter at Leach Report. Now, here's Tom. We're coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio in Lexington. Return, refresh, and refuel at Clark's Pump and Shops all across the bluegrass and the new Main Street Market, downtown Lexington, right across from Rupp Arena. Great uh, breakfast sandwiches in the Clark's Cafe location. So when you stop to fill up this morning, Run in and uh, pick up a uh, sausage biscuit or a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit, and it'll get your day started the right way. We welcome in Kyle Tucker from theathletic.com. We'll uh, talk about some of your coverage about uh, the passing of Coach Hall here in a bit. But let's start with the current Kentucky basketball team and uh, what we saw uh, on uh, Saturday in the win over Tennessee, just an otherworldly offensive performance. Uh, Most of Cal's teams have been probably – more noted, I think, for their for their defensive prowess, Kyle. The seventeen team was his most uh, potent offensive group, and uh, I think this group is the closest to that one. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is is uh, yeah, I think 
in the way he assembled his roster in the offseason. That's this is what we expected, right? It just it took a little time to percolate. You know, um, the Notre Dame game was sort of rock bottom offensively and and just in general to, to go lose that game the way they did. But uh, since then, if you if you uh, take out the LSU game where everything went wrong, or if you just assume that their roster is, you know, that they have a normal situation in that game where you don't you don't lose Severe Wheeler for the last 33 or 36 minutes, if you don't uh, lose Oscar for the last 11 minutes of the first half, you don't basically lose Ty Ty Washington for the last Washington for the last nine minutes of the game. Um, they probably do pretty well against that uh, LSU defense, which is uh, was the only one ranked higher than Tennessee before this weekend. Um, but if you take that game out, and I think it's reasonable to do so, given everything that did go wrong, uh, they, they've basically been turbocharged offensively ever since uh, Notre Dame. And, and again, basically been, I think, what you would have assumed they could do offensively based on the way the, the roster was constructed. You get this, uh, you know, rocket point guard in, in Severe Wheeler. Uh, you add all these scores and shooters, most of them proven at the college level or return one in Davion Mintz. And he's another guy who, you know, some of that, some of what, probably went wrong for Kentucky offensively was that uh, I think Davion Mintz struggled a little bit with going from being the guy basically for them last year to coming off the bench and he had to accept that and, and figure out his role and also he got sick and missed some games and I think struggled to come back from that but now he's clearly all the way back for the over the last few games um, and so what we saw Saturday was kind of the culmination to me of you know I think Calipari figuring a few things out uh, after that Notre Dame game and forcing forcing him and them to, to figure those things out. And then just the roster that was assembled uh, reaching kind of maximum potential offensively. I, I thought they – I don't know if I thought ever thought I'd, they'd be what they were against Tennessee. I don't think anybody's really seen many performances like that period. But I do think what they've been lately is a lot more like what I thought they were going to be you know, all along. You know, he was talking on the, the show last night, and he's certainly not the first time he's talked about it, but just how folk mentioning, you know, how the, everything's built around peaking in, in March. And the thing that um, he seems to, uh, just from observing, that it seems that he does, he's got new roster pretty much every year, a lot of turnover, a lot of new faces. So he uh, gives guys a chance to define themselves for the coaching staff. And, uh, you know, you, you think you, you can do your games, you know, you, you can do this or you can do that, whatever it might be. And then as the season plays out and the results aren't as uh, good as everyone would, would want, then he starts to insert himself into the equation and say, okay, we've tried it your way. Now let's, uh, let me define how you need to play for this team. And then however quickly guys embrace those roles is, is how quickly the, the team starts to gel. But that probably feeds into uh, part of why he schedules the way that he does and uh, also why they, uh, you know, first one or two road games of the season are sometimes a struggle. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think that uh, there's much flaw in that logic. I mean, I think that it's pretty obvious to a degree that's essentially what he does. And he's, he's, I mean, he's talked about it some as well. Um, this was a different group because it wasn't, there weren't a bunch of freshmen. I, I still sort of marvel at the fact that they're really only leaning on one freshman 
uh, and he's been terrific for the most part. Um, you know, he, he struggled in that first game against Duke, but he's been good to really good ever since. And and it, and then he is also, I think, the fact that you know the one guy who did kind of have to figure out well, what can you do, how much can you do, can you be the guy uh, was Ty Ty Washington, and. You know, as much as I think it kind of hurts the overall resume right now, just then, you know, there are going to be plenty of opportunities. But as it stands right now, why Kentucky maybe isn't getting a little more love, one of the reasons, even though there are a lot of extenuating circumstances, is that LSU loss. Because if you add that to, you know, blowing out UNC and blowing out Tennessee and you win at LSU, uh, I think pretty much everybody's bought in as a believer at that point on, on Kentucky. But the, but the long-term benefit of Severe Wheeler going down in that game um, is that it then empowered Ty Ty Washington, where you've got to be the guy. And he talked the other day about how teammates were telling, have been telling him, you know, you can be the guy. You can, you know, we trust you. Um, you can do this. And I and I think it just even mentally uh, empowered him to say, you know, on this team full of veteran guys, it's it's got to be a little intimidating. Unlike most, you know, star freshmen at Kentucky, where they're the best player with hands down, and they're the guy and from day one, uh, you know, Ty Ty's looking at a backcourt where you've got last year's SEC assist leader, this year's national assist leader, um, and then two super seniors who've played, you know, and started 100-plus college basketball games, um, you know, feeling really assertive for a, a teenager walking in here for the first time is probably a bit of a challenge, but I think uh, Wheeler being gone has unlocked him a little bit, and and. Ty Ty has been gone from really good to kind of sensational over these last couple of weeks, and uh, that that has as much to do with it as anything. Yeah, it's a good point, and um, I think we're my perception of of his uh, personality, and, and uh, you know I haven't spent enough time around him yet to be certain about this, but my perception is that he's not that alpha dog kind of freshman to come in and just you know take over he more is a guy that you know blends in and then finds his way and uh maybe we saw that in what cal tried to push him to do in that first game against duke that didn't go so well but now uh yeah i'd love to see him with that same uh, assignment from calipari to play duke right now versus the guy who played them on november 9th oh gosh i mean i, I think you know, I don't think Trevor Keels has been as good as he was that night, nearly. And I don't think uh, Ty Ty Washington has been as bad, nearly, uh, since then. And I, yeah, I think if they lined up and played again, I mean, Duke's playing well. They've got, they, they are a really good team, uh, too. But yeah, I think in particular, Ty Ty Washington would play a lot different, uh, in that matchup today. And, you know, we're going to get to see him in a lot of those opportunities now. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, Kennedy, Kennedy Chandler was one the other day. That was a freshman, but he's going to play against more veteran teams too and uh, in some crazy environments. At Auburn Saturday is must-see TV. I mean, it's, you know, the game of the of the weekend in college basketball and then run another one the very next weekend at Kansas. Uh, at Alabama, he's going to have a lot of opportunities against really good players and really good teams and really – challenging environments to kind of show his um, growth in the big game moment. Yeah, and I was looking at uh, A&M's profile, uh, and 
I would imagine it's going to be a little crazy uh, with the atmosphere there because in looking at A and M, I mean they're they're fifteen and two, four and zero, oh, not getting a lot of respect. Uh, I don't think they're even ranked yet, and they're fifty ninth in Ken Palm, um, and you know they haven't they they don't have uh, marquee wins. Their league wins to start have been Georgia, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Missouri. But there is one thing about winning is that it breeds confidence, and if you're A and M. You've got Kentucky at home tomorrow night, and then your next you know chances for marquee wins: uh, LSU on the road, Tennessee on the road, Auburn on the road, uh, Alabama on the road. So this is the one game that uh, is a uh, marquee, you know, head-turning kind of opponent for you, and you it's the only one you get on your home floor. So um, I don't know if the it's being framed up for the players that way, but uh, that's a you know a huge opportunity moment for A and M that Kentucky's walking into. Yeah, and Kentucky's had some some crazy games and some real challenges in that building. It's uh, you know if fans are excited about that start, and I, you know if I know anything about Buzz Williams, he'll get people excited. Um, you know, if fans show up and they and they feel like it's a big opportunity, it'll be. A hostile environment. I mean, that's a. It's interesting with all these these mega weekend matchups, and most of them on the road that everybody's eyes are on. You know, there's a couple of really tricky games, uh, landmines in there for Kentucky going at Texas A&M midweek this week, and then you know Mississippi State coming to Lexington uh, the following week. And those are both teams that are they're good and talented enough, and and playing well enough. Uh, that could trip you up, especially if your if your eyes are forward on one of the marquee games. Very true. Talk with Kyle Tucker from theathletic.com, and we'll uh, get to more of our discussion when we come right back. Our show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Find out more about the voice of the cats and get great coverage of the Big Blue at TomLeachKY.com. Chat with Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com. A lot of great content coming up there in the uh, coming weeks as we roll toward March Madness. So uh, if you uh, didn't get a subscription for Christmas, get one for yourself now at TheAthletic.com. Kyle, I was just looking at... uh, some numbers here at uh, KenPom.com. Kentucky's currently number four in offensive efficiency. There's only been one Calipari team that ranked higher. That was the national championship team that finished the year at number two in offensive efficiency. Uh, and last year, Kentucky broke the 80-point mark, 80 or more, six times. Won five of those, actually. Uh, they've done it 11 times in 17 games already this season. Um, what's your take on uh, uh, what... John Calipari did with uh, his his offense in the wake of a very disappointing season last year. Well, I mean, he added, you know, he, he clearly, as even though he's he sort of steadfastly uh, bucks against the idea of you need more threes, and they haven't really taken more threes. He, he went and got, you know, you talk about he, these people would sort of roll their eyes, and he, he would say, "I think I have shooters. I need makers." Uh, he went. He went and got some more makers, and he got a maker back. And and Davion Mintz, who started to make again, Kellen Grady, a guy who made two hundred plus threes in college. I mean, the thing we don't even talk about is they they they're supposed to have C.J. Frederick. Uh, you know, what would this offense look like if they had him as an option as well? Uh, almost a fifty percent three point shooter in the Big Ten, um, and Ty Ty, who you know is a terrific shooter and scorer. Um, you know, it was I think the one piece that. Um, 
people kind of felt like maybe he wasn't making any progress and was signing Severe Wheeler or adding Severe Wheeler in the transfer portal um, because he was such a poor shooter, and he remains not a very good shooter. Uh, but I think even after that Notre Dame game, Cal has sort of identified how best to utilize him uh, and how to attack when teams sort of sag off of him. Um, and so they've even neutralized uh, that issue. And as long as as long as they're out there with uh, Grady and Mintz or Grady and uh, Washington or Mintz and Washington, any of those combinations with Severe Wheeler, they have plenty of shooting on the floor. Um, and I, and I think um, you know the biggest thing that has changed for Kentucky since that Notre Dame game is is one they're they're trying to fly more. I mean they get it and they go. Uh, they're, the way they defend is to turn, you know, defense into offense. And, and then on, you know, when they get into the half court, it's just constant moving, uh, not holding the ball, stopping the ball, watching the ball. Uh, guys are just in constant motion until they get, you know, probing and driving and, and getting to the next, uh, option until somebody comes wide open. I mean, they, they have so many, uh, open looks now. Um, and then when you've got a guy like Oscar, you know, the other piece of that is, is Oscar, that when you have a guy that you just know is grabbing, you know, 30% of your every third miss that you put up, um, the amount of, of, of increased offense that leads to uh, as well. It just, uh, you know, it, there's no one thing that Cal did, but he just assembled a roster that is, I think, to optimize the score. You know, the only thing you would change is if you had a point guard who could shoot it just, uh, you know, an average amount. Um, with everything else, with all, with all, if you had severe wheeler just as he is, but you know, ten percentage points higher uh, shooting the basketball, um, you know, you'd, you'd just about be perfect with that setup. You, I grew up here, uh, so I knew Joe Hall's this the Joe Hall, you know, who Joe Hall was from as far back as I can remember uh, as a, somebody who grew up following Kentucky basketball. So. Uh, but obviously you've been around here for a while covering the Kentucky program. So I'm just curious what what uh, noteworthy things have stood out to you as you've written and, and uh, listened to people, written about and listened to people talk about uh, Coach Hall and his passing. Well, you know, I was I was fortunate that, you know, my very first year uh, covering Kentucky, the year they won the national championship uh, 10 years ago now, which is crazy. Um, you know, I, I – I started calling Joe B, um, you know, talk to him about things about the team and uh, I would do his radio show and some things like that, but got to know him a little bit and, and talked to him for several stories over the years. Uh, you know, incredible storyteller. I, I'm very thankful that I did get a chance to know Joe B a little bit. Um, but in, in terms of, you know, what I learned about him and what I, what I knew coming in, I, you know, legacy uh, is an interesting thing. And, um, I'm not sure, you know, the thing that sticks out to me and kind of the theme of what I wrote in his uh, main obituary that we, we ran at The Athletic was just the idea of, you know, whether he was appreciated in that time and how much more he certainly was appreciated over time. His legacy grew, I think, um, over the years. I mean, obviously, once he won the you, 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 you ruin Indiana's undefeated season, you win a national title. Uh, those things you get back, you know, you, you get to another national championship game. I think people appreciated those things in the moment, um, but I'm not sure they fully appreciated the total legacy of, of Joe B. Hall in the moment because he wasn't Adolph Rupp, or he, you know, you know, he whatever vibe he gave off to people that they didn't 
some some people didn't like in the time. I think because he felt so much pressure, he, he wasn't the he wasn't the free, loose, relaxed, uh, you know, jovial guy that we all you know came to know in his later years. Because you know he was carrying the weight of the world back then. Yeah. But his legacy now, over time, is you know he's the guy who carried the program forward to to make sure that it would be a program and not a coach. You know, I think that's that's the the two big things. One, he did that. You know, that his legacy is that he proved that it, somebody other than Adolph Rupp could win a national championship at Kentucky, and now five men have done it. And and that's that's the difference in you know a blue blood and a and one famous coach. Um, and then the other thing, the big, big thing to me is that, you know, whatever you, whatever you, your stance is on the, the Rupp debate about integrating the program, why he didn't, uh, the fact is Joby did, you know, Joby's legacy is that he did do it and he didn't do it halfway. He didn't do it half-heartedly. He didn't do it uh, begrudgingly. He got the job and signed Reggie Warford. And within four years, he had five black players on his roster. And in his second year, he hired Leonard Hamilton as the first black assistant at Kentucky. And Leonard signed so many important players uh, for Kentucky. Um, and, you know, I, I wrote a piece about that separately, about that legacy uh, yesterday, because that's a huge legacy. The, the fact that, you know, he um, finally took – Kentucky into the you know into the modern world you know that we I would say we can all agree that Kentucky for whatever reason was far behind others um, in that regard and then they in hiring Leonard Hamilton they became one of the first uh, in the coaching ranks one of the first movers there and so you know I think that's an incredible legacy as well and then you know the other legacy is is how how people talk about you and remember you uh, and what kinds of what's the tone of what people say about you and i think it's just love i mean by the end of his life joby and and cal said this and i thought it was so important and cal had a hand in it by the end of his life joby knew exactly how loved and adored and appreciated he was he knew that he had a place in history and beyond that just that people wanted to be around him. players talked about what he meant to their life and um you know the fact that so many of them the fact that John Calipari and others and his players flocked to him at the end when they knew that they didn't have a whole lot of time left. You know, I, I talked to, I was working on this, you know, stuff to, to write about Joe after his passing for weeks because people understood that it was getting close. And every time people thought it might be the time, you know, they would rush to, to yeah. spend a little more time with Joe. And I think that is an incredible legacy in and of itself that Very people true. wanted to be with you. Kyle, thank you much. Thank you. Wrap it up when we come right back on the Leach Report. Happy birthday to Patrick Tolles and some birthdays that we missed yesterday. So belated happy birthday. Xavier Wheeler, Dirk Minifield, James Lee. Happy birthdays one and all. And that will do it for us. We'll see you tomorrow on the Leach Report from Texas. Thanks for listening to the Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook